you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone, this is Mary Woods and I'm your host today and happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. I hope you have a great day and you got lots of flowers and chocolate. Um, We have a show today that's focused on recovery, and um, that's a good topic for any Valentine's Day, and it's a topic that I'm sure you're all going to be very interested in. Um, we actually have two guests today, uh, Bud Clayman and Scott Johnston, and they have um, written and produced in, um, a movie that's called OC87, the Obsessive Compulsive Major Depression Bipolar Asperger's movie. And um, don't let the title fool you. This is a movie about recovery and about um, hope. And um, it's about Buddy's journey, uh, which he will tell you about. But let me first introduce you to Buddy. He's the director, writer, and principal subject of the, of the movie. When he was a young person in college, he went to the radio television film track at Temple University, um, he was diagnosed with um, mental illness. And over the years, he has been diagnosed with major depression, bipolar disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and most recently with Asperger's syndrome. As a filmmaker, Bud's version of this documentary is clear. I want people to understand that there is more to mental illness than pain and problems. My recovery is about acceptance and getting on with life. Our other guest is Scott Johnston, who was a director and writer as well of this movie, Scott's background is a blend of psychology, writing, and media production. After college, he attended Butler University and majored in communications and English. He wrote and produced for an advertising agency before entering the developmental disabilities field, followed by a career in psychiatric rehabilitation. Welcome both, Buddy and Scott, to our show. Thank you. Nice to be here, Mary. Um, Well, this is a great topic for Valentine's Day because I really think that you know, um, so often recovery is about hope and it's about love and it's about having a heart and finding people with good hearts to support you along the way. And, um, Buddy, can you just share with our audience um, why why did you want to do this movie? Um, basically, I wanted to do this movie, Mary, to really... Uh, erase stigma in society. Um, there's so much stigma around mental health and mental illness. And um, when you tell people or don't tell people that, when you tell people basically that you have a mental illness, they look at you askance and they they may shun you. And it's not really talked about. There's a lot of 
families uh, who have people who are mentally ill, but they don't know where to turn, they don't know where to go for help. And I wanted to open up a dialogue in the United States, in the world, um, about mental illness. That's why I made the film. How did you get connected to Scott? What is his link to the project? Um, I had worked on the script. Uh, actually, the film started at a writing workshop in 2005. I wrote an essay called Therapy. Um, it's a little off the topic, but it segues into it. Um, it resonated with somebody else in the workshop, and I went home and said, hey, this would make a great idea for a documentary. So um, uh, somebody hooked me up with Scott at Project Transition. It's a um, mental health community in Bucks County. They have, they're all around the Philadelphia area now. And Scott gave me a lot of links to mental health websites and research. Um, I really wanted to do a lot of it on my own at first. So I worked on the script for about a year, and it wasn't going anywhere. Um, I was basically going off on tangents, and I wasn't focused, um, which is sometimes a problem for people with Asperger's, or maybe a lot of times a problem for people with Asperger's. They have trouble focusing. So about a year later, after 2005, I called Scott and said, please help me, Scott. I, you know, I, I need help on this script. And that's how Scott came into the process. Scott, what was uh, appealing to you about this process? Well, um, I didn't know Buddy before receiving a call one day, which he introduced himself and asked to uh, meet for lunch and talk about making a film. So what, ap what appealed to me uh, was who Buddy was as a as a person, he's very likable and uh, he's smart and funny and kind of quirky. And um, I, I immediately, um, I think, responded well to, to all of that. And I was also drawn to the process because this was, in many ways, a, a filmmaker who, in his young formative years, in some ways lost his voice. Um, and was really dominated by the experience of, you know, mental illness. And I saw this as a way to um, help someone reclaim, celebrate reclaiming that voice and finding that again. So the the process and the person both drew me in. Um, the movie is, an, as you said, is a documentary, and it kind of unfolds like a diary. Can you explain um, to everybody a little bit about the 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 format? Well, the format's kind of tied to the process of development, I think. I remember early on, um, Buddy and I would sit and uh, generate ideas on three-by-five cards and then lay them on the floor and look for patterns and themes of plots and so on. Um, and then as we brought... A third director in, Glenn Holston, Glenn brought a host of ideas that um, Buddy and I both re responded to really well. Very early on, uh, we did search for what the essential storyline would be. And the, I don't know precisely how it happened, but I remember we kind of had this conversation, well, what if this really takes a look, Buddy, at your at your life and like mm -hmm. what your experience of recovery has been. 
and um, that led to discussions about the you know, the pros and cons of disclosure and and so on. But that, and I'll ask Buddy to jump in here. I mean, mm -hmm. that to me, you you jumped in, and there was an immersion that I think also told a story of of courage. Yes, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I basically, um, I guess my life has always been an open book, and I've always wanted to put a story out there. I think a lot of people do, and I've been very lucky to be able to do that. And I felt if I did disclose things, um, it would hopefully set an example for others that they can talk about uh, their problems and issues. Um, we have an offshoot of our website called Recovery Diaries, and in that we um, encourage people to submit uh, narratives, either videos or articles or audio pieces talking about mental illness and what recovery means to them. I just did an article for that. It's on the website right now. So disclosure is very important to me. It's um, it's a way of liberating yourself, basically. I just wanted to jump in for a moment, Mary, to respond to your question about the, the use of the diaries, kind of in the in the form of storytelling. Um, throughout the story, um, we see Buddy doing just talking into the camera, and and we we call these things video diaries, and he's reflecting on what has been happening as well as what will be happening. And in some ways, those video diary excerpts kind of serve as a, a mortar that kind of connects the, the bricks of the different storylines. Um, I, I thought it was very compelling, um, different parts of the, of the documentary. One was when, Buddy, when you were on the bus and you were sharing with the audience what, what you were thinking. Mm -hmm. And and to me that was like wow that was like it was just so amazing to understand that you know um, because clinically um, we can't hear that but it but it's but you put a voice to something that we observe people doing yeah um, a lot of people at the uh, conferences where we showed this film so far really resonate with that um, that's something I actually ad libbed in the studio I was looking at a screen of me on a film shot of me on the bus, and I just let out my thoughts and kind of uh, mimicked how my interior mind works. And I think what when people see the film, they'll see it really is, um, it's hellish, basically. Um, I'm in therapy right now, but those thoughts and the, the obsessions still go on in my head. I'm constantly rattling things back and forth. What if this? What if that? And I'm getting great therapy, um, but I still have to apply it more, I think. Uh, sometimes I'm a little hard on myself, but I think I have to apply it more. And, um, yeah, that, that's a very compelling scene, I thought. Well, I think for, for me and what I would like to really show people is that you're, you're having the thoughts, but you're also reframing them. You're, you're also coping with them at the same time. And I think that's what is so compelling. It's it's watching you use a skill in how to cope with those thoughts. Um, yeah, that's um, that's a big thing about OCD, and I think a lot of what I've learned. Um, a lot of people, when they get intrusive thoughts or bad thoughts that come into their head, 
the um, knee-jerk reaction is to really try and kick them out and not want them there. Uh-huh. But what I've learned through therapy is the technique is really to let them be there and try not to attend to them. Um, it's like if you're on television and you see uh, in the background a pink elephant and the person says, don't look at the pink elephant, you know, or don't look at the camera. You're going to look at the pink elephant. You're going to look at the camera. And um, that's the same thing with the thoughts. People just try and kick them out. It just doesn't work because the mind, at least definitely with people with OCD, it's not wired like that. I thought the other um, compelling like uh, clip was when you were when you were out and you were listening to music and there were you were with some of your friends and um, and just enjoying the moment, singing karaoke and um, and I thought that this is recovery. This is somebody getting on with their life and and who is not being defined by all of those different diagnoses that yeah. uh, you've had over the years. Uh, that was actually a difficult scene to shoot. Um... And that's another example of what I think somebody with mental mental illness goes through. Because um, people in that scene, um, for people who haven't seen the movie, um, we're at karaoke, and obviously we're all singing songs and having a good time and eating, and just it's 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 really it was really a lot of fun. But at the same time, I was obsessing a lot in my head. Um, when is this going to be over? Because I was so nervous around a lot of the people. And I think that's kind of a good example of um, people with mental illness. You know, there's people walking on the street, and they could have mental illness, and you wouldn't even know it. Um, so things go on inside your head, but you you may not know it from, from the other person coming at you. And that's the, you, you brought up that scene, but that there was a lot going on inside my head then. Um, that's good to know because you couldn't tell in the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, you do a good job of masking it sometimes, but yeah. that's, again, that's another reason why I wanted to do this film, to, to unmask things. We'll be right back with Buddy and Scott. If you have any questions, give us a call after the break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center of Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, our guests today are Scott Johnson, who was a director and writer of OC87, and Buddy Clayman, who was a director, writer, and principal subject of the documentary OC87. Um, I guess I want to start by saying, how did you come up with the name OC87? Uh, well, that was coined by my therapist. Um, he basically... Uh, in 1987, that was a pivotal year for me. Um, I basically tried to control my entire world. Uh, I wouldn't talk with people. Uh, I didn't allow any spontaneity. I worked uh, rigidly uh, five days a week, which uh, for me at the time was uh, very structured. Um, I had been freelancing in the film industry before that. didn't have a lot of structure. And... Uh, Basically, that was that was the year where I just wanted to take control of my life, and um, so my therapist coined it OC87, and we we ended up using it in the film. Can you share with us a little bit of your journey through your recovery? Um, in what way? Well, um, you started getting ill when you were in college, and you were going to film school. Um, what was that like? Um, it was very difficult. Um, I started isolating a lot. Um, in the film, we there's an incident where we talk about my friend uh, who made a nasty comment towards me when I was sick, and I felt burnt by it. And there were other instances in college where I was hurt, and I basically started isolating and that contributed to the depression, and then I finally um, began, actually began, it was the time, the height of the Cold War at the time, and I was having nuclear war dreams as I uh, was nearing the end of school, and I was seeing a Freudian therapist, and he was saying that that was really my way of, my mind's way of saying, you know, your world is coming apart, buddy, and um, it was coming apart because I was in a protected environment in college, and here I was facing the world really for the first time in my life, and I had to work for other people. Um, I couldn't control my environment anymore, and so I had a nervous breakdown. I just uh, I remember I was sobbing, and I had to have my mother come live with me for a week, and it was just a bad situation. Uh, I pulled myself 
back together, obviously, but it was just, uh, there was a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety. Um, is this something that runs in your family? Um, there was mental illness, I believe, on my father's side. Um, I don't believe on my mom's side. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that's, I don't know all the details, but that's what my mom has told me. Um, after you kind of recovered from, from this episode, what did you do then? Did you go start working in the film industry or? Well, no, that's, in a weird way, that's the OC87 because I kind of recovered myself in a way. Um, I, I started work. I, I, I felt that basically I had to do a five-day-a-week job. I mean, I was freelancing in the film industry right after the nervous breakdown, but, you know, somebody with OCD, uh, which I had at the time, has very a lot of trouble living with uncertainty. And if you're freelancing, you're living with a lot of uncertainty. And I felt I needed to really uh, make my life certain. So that's I went to work five days a week in a video store. And even though it was obsessive, it really kind of pulled me together. And it was at that point, I'd say in November of 1987, that I decided I wanted to go to California, uh, work in the film industry. Um, somebody had come to my video store who was already in the film industry, and they were a script reader. And I wanted to be a writer-director in theatrical films, and that was one of the ways that you could get your scripts read if you were a script reader and you worked for a producer or a literary agency. So um, I went out to California in 88. Um, things were pretty good. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of issues uh, with the Asperger's. I wasn't talking to a lot of people. I had absolutely no friends out there. Um, I was working seven days a week. Um, I did some freelance script reading. And then I would say around 89, when I lost a couple of jobs, then my world started falling in again, and then I came back home and worked for my dad. And how long did that last? Uh, that lasted from January of 1990 till about August of 1990. And after that, I went into the day program at Friends Hospital here in Philadelphia I was there, I'd say, for about a year and a half, and I'd say towards that was took me through 1991. I was getting sick again. Again, the loss of structure is, is so important to everybody. Everybody needs structure, and um, I didn't have it after the day program ended. Then my insurance ran out, and um, and I found Project Transition. Um, I don't know if Scott wants to talk about that, how important that is. Uh, I'm sorry, to speak about the... Is that okay, Mary, if he talks about that? It, it certainly is. Yeah, that's, that's, that was another part of my journey, and Scott was from Project Transition. Well, Project Transition uh, might be described as a therapeutic community. It's a program that exists within the, the broad community, um, within apartment complexes, and it's for people with serious mental illness who have really been through uh, a lot of hell and have their family members. Uh, so it's a residential program, and people live in an apartment with roommates who are also in the program. Um, so it's, it's a group of about 20 to 25 people plus the staff. And um, 
a lot of the work is very practical, so there's treatment, but there are also a lot of things that just pay attention to um, quality of life and um, reestablishing relationships. Which is important to recovery. It's a big part of recovery. Yeah. Relationships um, are key, and, and so, um, so is the loneliness that often accompanies, you know, trauma-like <clears throat> mental illness. Right. Buddy, did you experience any kind of um, significant, like, aha moment or awakening where you really began to say, I have my symptoms under control, I'm moving forward, or was it a gradual process? Um, well, first off, I'm still looking for the aha moment. <laughs> it hasn't come Aren't we yet. all? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, what was I reading? I was reading an article the other day in the Journal of Psychosocial Rehabilitation, and they talk about a lot of people in recovery. They're looking for what they call, quote, conversion. Uh-huh. And to me, that's the religious moment, uh, conversion, when your problems are all over with, and it doesn't really work like that. Um, Everything has been a very slow process for me. Um, sometimes I like to go faster than I can, but as my therapist says, it'll take the time it takes. Um, sometimes it takes too long for me. I get frustrated. Um, but it, it's definitely been a, it, it's a process. I guess life is a process to be uh, yeah. philosophical about it. At Westbridge, we like to say recovery is a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> It is. Uh, you definitely got to pace yourself. Um, you got to do, you know, go to therapy each week. You can't. I, I try not to miss therapy at all. I mean, I'm pretty good 99% of the time. Uh, I see a Asperger's therapist once a week and a OCD therapist once a week, and it's just um, constantly working on yourself. And I keep a log and. I have things to come in to talk to, with the therapist about. Um, I take my medication. So it's um, it's just the whole program that you've got to follow if you want to get well. And um, some people go off their medication just when they think they're going to get well when they, or when they think they are getting well, and that's not good. So um, you got to work the program. Um. In your bio, you talk about your recoveries about acceptance, and can you say more about that? What what is it that you have to accept? Um, I think you have to accept that you're ill, um, that you may not totally recover. Um, you definitely have to accept that life, and I'm just ex- learning to accept this: that life is not perfect. It's not perfect for anybody, and. I once heard an actress say um, that once she accepted that life wasn't perfect, her life took off, and that's that's what I'm learning. Um, I feel I'm kind of on a trajectory, a good trajectory right now, and I'm starting to learn to be imperfect. And sometimes I want to be perfectly imperfect, which doesn't work either. Um, but. Acceptance to me is learning that you're not perfect, that nobody's perfect, we all make mistakes, that you can grow from them and and move on past them. Um, I think you get in a rut if you if you feel you have to be perfect because then you then you get angry at yourself and you start saying, "Why did I do this? Why did I do that?" And you don't grow from it. And that's that's what I've learned. At least one of the things I've learned. In going through the process of making your movie, what was um, what did you learn about either yourself or about recovery through making this 
this film? Well, I, I think the biggest thing I learned is that I can manage people. Um, I can be a leader. Um, and that's diff- that was one of the big things when I got out into the world, so to say. You know, in college, I was a director of a number of films, but out in the world, I had to start over again. And this was definitely a real-world experience for me because I was working with a lot of great professional people, including Scott over there. And um, I just... Can you repeat your question? I just I just went off topic. What, what you thought was... Um the most um, positive thing or what you've learned from this in yeah. doing this? Yeah, um, well, I've learned that I can work with people, uh, behave myself around people, learn to coexist with them. Um, I'm still learning to be interdependent with people. Um, there's a part of me that when I came into this project, I wanted to do everything on my own. And certainly with film, it's, it's really a collaborative medium. Um, I do a lot of writing, which I like, which is a solitary activity, but this was definitely collaborative. And you've got to learn to manage people and deal with their different personalities, and they had to deal with my crazy personality, so I thank them for that. Um, And that was definitely part of the recovery process, learning to reconnect with people um, in a social way, in a business way. um, You know, it's just... uh, it was just an incredible experience, and it still is because we're we're still out there. We're trying to get the film sold to a distributor um, for national distribution, and so it's. Uh, I've been working with the same team for about four years right now. So, you know, hopefully, I've developed close relationships with them, and it's just again, it's, it's another growing process. Scott, what was the um, what did you learn from this process? What what was significant for you through making the film? Well, I think in some ways I learned a lot from Buddy's courage uh, in terms of this window of disclosure that he opened. Uh, There's certainly a tenacity and a fortitude and focus that's required to maintain that commitment, and I saw him do this over an extended period of time. Um, and wasn't always there. Wasn't always there. I think, well, we were, yeah, I mean, we were there. I mean, I guess that's the other point, is that what I discovered, again, is how powerful and supportive a group can be. To its members, and we had a terrifically tight creative team, and were there for one another. Ironically, we had three directors, and through the course of the project, each of us has lost a parent. So beyond the filmmaking process, we were also close to one another when it counted. Definitely. And we'll be right back after this commercial with uh, Buddy and Scott. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. 
Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and happy Valentine's Day. Our guests today are Buddy Clayman and Scott Johnston, um, and they both have written and directed, and Buddy has starred in a documentary about Buddy's experience with uh, mental illness and recovery from mental illness. And um, he wrote and directed and starred in this film because he wanted people to understand that there's more to mental illness than pain and problems, that... um, that there is recovery, and recovery is about acceptance and getting on with life. And before we went to break, I asked you what your um, what the learning moment was for you. What was the most significant challenge that you had in making this movie? I'll start with you, Scott. Um, well, of course, when you have all this footage um, that has to be pared down to fit on the head of a pin... Um, that's that's inherently daunting, but we just we just chipped away at that. And I I think very early on, as Buddy and I were were just starting to work together, um, searching for kind of the definitive you know story, um, felt felt like we were each alone. I think sometimes before things came together. Mm-hmm. Um, but both, both, those things certainly worked out. Definitely. Buddy, what? Excuse me, Buddy. For you, what was the most significant challenge? You kind of put your whole life out there for us all to see. Um, that's that's easy for me to do. I'm not trying to be egotistical. It's just, um, I, you know, I've always liked the camera. I've always, 
like to uh, be in front of the camera, so that wasn't a problem. Um, I'd say, again, the biggest challenge for me was learning to work with a great group of professionals. Um, I'd say also learning to assert my creative vision was very difficult for me in the beginning. Um, we would be in the editing room, and everybody, you know, we had, obviously we've had, we have three directors and an editor, and often in a film you have one director and an editor, and the director kind of shapes the creative vision of the project along with the editor, but we had three directors. So a lot of times I felt like I wasn't getting my voice across, and I would get angry in the editing room, and people would say, it's all right, bud, you know, you, you have a say in this. Um, so that, that was very difficult. Um, that was a challenge. I Hopefully I've overcome a lot of that. Um, yeah, that was, that was the biggest, biggest challenge, working with top-notch professionals as these people are, you know. In your movie, um, both of your parents, buddy, are um, on camera talking about their experience with your illness, and I think most people can identify with uh, um, the struggles and the stressors that happen within a family when someone has a mental illness. And can you share with our audience a little bit about your family's experience? Um, I let's see here. Um. Well, I think uh, I was very nervous um, the night of the screening of the film because I didn't know um, there had always been conflicts between my mom and my dad. Um, my dad didn't always accept my mental illness. Um, a lot of times he didn't, and he admits it in the film. He was from the old school. He didn't, as he says in one scene, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from the old school. I don't understand mental illness, whereas my mom did understand mental illness. And I was very afraid at that first screening that some of his family might take what my mom said the wrong way. Um, she had said in one scene that um, my father was in, quote, the mid-Atlantic state of denial about my mental illness. Um, but at the screening, they were very nice about it um, because... You know, they understood that we portrayed my father fairly, and he did see the rough cut before he passed away, and he did approve of it. Um, but there's always been that tension, I think, between the two of them. Um, yeah, as again, again, my father was from the old school. He didn't really understand psychiatry, and, you know, he said um, he didn't understand why I was paying the therapist so much money I was paying them. And my mother... Uh, was more supportive in that way. Um, she understood what it was like for me to be mentally ill. Um, so that's it for that. I think that it's uh, that dichotomy happens in a lot of families, and mm -hmm. I think that that's very common. And um, I give your folks a lot of credit for being willing to share that with everyone. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> it was very interesting. Uh, our, actually, our first shoot was with my dad, um, and uh, that that was an interesting experience. And I really enjoyed. Uh, we I guess about three months into shooting, we showed him part of part of the film, and um, 
you know, he was very touched by it. And there's a scene where I read him a gratitude letter and thank him for uh, funding the film and being my father and being a good father. And um, as I think I told you during break, we really, uh, we weren't always close. We We had a lot of problems. And I think you see that with fathers and sons in a lot of families. Um, but the last two years of the film, last two years of his life were just fantastic. Um, and I think, as my mom said, I would have really been guilty, really would have felt guilty had that not happened. So I'm really blessed that he understood what I was going through, and the film really helped that. That's a gift. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if it was a gift from God, but it was, um, you know, again, my mom, had, my mom had really, I think, always understood what was going on. Um, she had gone to a lot of uh, National Alliance for the Mentally Ill support groups. They have something called Family to Family, where they uh, give you peer counseling and things like that for the family. And my father just... Um, he wasn't interested in hearing about that. Um, I think some people have said basically that, <clears throat> excuse me, um, some people have basically said that it could have been that he felt he couldn't cope with the mental illness because he may have felt that he had raised a defective son and that it was a reflection on him. And I tried to tell him many times it wasn't a reflection on him, that it was a chemical thing. And I don't think he always understood that. But, again, um, the last two years were just really good. So. Um, I think in our first segment you talked about one of the reasons you wanted to do this was to help overcome the stigma and discrimination that people experience who may um, have mental illness. And um, Do you still see a lot of stigma in your day-to-day dealings with the world? Do you think it's gotten better or worse or <clears throat> the same? Um, you know, I'm not sure. I, I think there is still a lot of stigma in the society. Um, you know, uh, I, there's just, there's a stigma with a lot of things. Um, I, you know, things like homosexuality are becoming more accepted. Um, things are just, but, but mental illness is, is another type of thing. Uh, people at one time when cancer was not accepted. So a lot of subjects that are taboo to people um, are starting to, for lack of a better term, you know, co- coming out of the closet with that. And um, I think mental illness is one of them. I don't think it's really there yet because, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's there yet. Um, I think it's going to help when there's more um, funding for mental health programs, that, that hasn't really come about yet. People don't realize that it's just a disease. Um, just like if you do have cancer or if you're sick, there is the Mental Health Parity Act. Um, is, is, they're still fighting for that in Congress. Um, so there needs to be more, more of a dialogue. And, you know, again, that's why I made this film. I really, really want to do a uh, blitz, uh, just the media blitz of getting this message out, that it's, it's, a lot of people have these problems. Um, it's okay. I mean, it's not okay to be mentally ill, but it's okay that you have the problem and that you can deal with it. Um, 
I want to eventually start a foundation, hopefully with a lot of the proceeds of the film, that will provide uh, cost-effective therapy for people. Um, when I, a lot of times I'll say to somebody, you know, you're having a real issue here. I think you need to see a therapist. They'll say, well, you know, I can do it on my own. I don't need to see a therapist. And that's something I want to provide. I want to make it okay to go to therapy, to to explore your issues with other people. I think I think that'll help society. And that's a wonderful um, goal to have. And and I hope you make lots of proceeds from your film. And we'll be back for our final segment after our next commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pastor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, This is Mary Woods, and our show today is 
um, entitled OC87, The Obsessive Compulsive Major Depression Bipolar Asperger's Movie, um, which uh, is a lot more fascinating than it sounds. And <laughs> our um, guests today are Bud Clayman, who is the director, writer, and principal subject for the movie, and Scott Johnston, who is a director and writer. And, um, you know, I think that this is amazing um, work in terms of helping people understand that mental illness is something that people can can treat and can live with and can overcome, and it doesn't have to be a a death sentence, so to speak, that your life doesn't end when you become mentally ill. And I think that um, this is a great um, film project, and I wish you a lot of luck with it. Where can people watch it? Where can people get it? Um, well, uh, as I said uh, in the break, um, we are looking to get international distribution. Uh, we just are about to sign a contract with a sales rep. Uh, we're going to um, try and get into the theaters. For now, uh, they can get a lot of information from OC87.com. Um, we have our trailer on the site. Um, there's some stuff on YouTube. Uh, we have some outtake scenes uh, that will be on our website. Um, we'll be uploading. I think, that's, I think they may be uploaded already. I'm not sure. Um, so that's uh, – but we're, we're looking uh, – if, if people come uh, the OC Obsessive Compulsive Foundation Conference, we'll be playing it uh, this summer. Um, we're looking to be at uh, National NAMI in Chicago in the summer. Um, so there's a lot of places people can come see it. If people want to get in touch with you, Scott, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way for folks to get in touch with um, any of us is actually through the website because there is a uh, contact us form, and that kind of functions as an email um, to me, and I share it with Buddy and Glenn. That's been a good way that we've been able to respond to questions and comments from, from people. Um, Buddy, do you have another project in mind? Um, well, no. <laughs> um, I've had several. I was going to do a film on an artist friend of my mom's. Uh, it didn't. It fell through, so I'm not going to do that. Um, possibly thinking about doing a film about my mom. Um, she doesn't know it yet, but she may know it now when she hears this. <laughs> Um, that'll be very interesting because um, we we got a lot of issues and there's also a lot of love there and which creates issues too and um, so that's a possibility. But right now, um, no, nothing, nothing else. If there's one thing that that you would like people to understand about um, mental illness, what would it be, Scott? That there's hope, and that hope can be lent, and it can be borrowed. Mm. That's interesting, Scott. Very well put. And for you, buddy? Uh, I'd say the same thing, that, you know, um, uh you know, I hate going back to it, but uh, for me, therapy is everything. It's 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 changed my life forever. Um, 
I think if you hook up with a good therapist, uh, you're really uh, you're way ahead of the game. Uh, I just seeing an OCD therapist for well, the current OCD therapist for I guess for about six seven years. He was doing great with me, um, but then I've been seeing this Asperger therapist for the last two years. They both work in the same office, and she, I'm telling you, she has changed my life forever, and that is no exaggeration. So I think there is hope. You gotta, you you gotta get on the right medication. Um, you know, it's not just a psychological thing that people make up mental illness. Uh, a lot of it is chemical, chemically based, and there is a lot of good medication out there. And if you combine that with the right therapy, and again, I think I spoke earlier about doing your program and committing to it. Uh, you know, before therapy, making notes before your therapy session, making notes and keeping a log of what's going on with you throughout the week and bringing it in there and processing it with somebody who really uh, is objective and won't judge you. Therapists don't judge you at all. They guide you in the right direction of what's best for you. And I, I think that's, that, for me, has been the hope, um, that there are people out there who can really, um, can really make a difference in my life. I think one of the things that you you just kind of outlined for everybody is that recovery is is work and it takes responsibility and you'll get out of it what you put into it. Yeah, I mean, I've been kind of, well, not kind of, I have been a very dependent person throughout my life and my Asperger's therapist now is making me a very independent person, um, not necessarily apart from people, but interdependent with others, but independent on my own, learning to take responsibility. Um, I'm going to be joining the board of a uh, Jewish uh, support, mental health support group organization this week. And one of the biggest problems that we're seeing and that I'm being asked to help out with is that parents of mentally ill uh, children, uh, offspring, really want to hold on to them. They're afraid to let them go, let them go out into the world, um, let them grow up, and give them, you know, and give them responsibility. And that's part of the healing process: learning to grow up and and, and gaining, you know, gaining responsibility. I, there was somebody who was uh, going to do a project on our website, uh, Scott was telling me this, and um, I think the parents, the person said they couldn't do it anymore, that it wasn't going to work for them, but um, in my humble estimation, I think the parents kind of nixed it because they felt it was too much for the person, and I can understand that there is this protective instinct that goes along with a parent of a mentally ill child, but you've got to let go. I mean, you've got to grow up, and I think once that happens, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, that's a wonderful thought for all of us. Yeah, I think I think everybody. That, that's my big thing, growing up in life. I think, uh, you know, everybody's got to grow up at one time or another. And even if you hold a job and you're making $5 million a year, for a hundred million dollars a year, I don't know if it means you've grown up emotionally, and it, it hasn't. Trust no. me. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think uh, that's—it's everything. It's everything. Growing up is really everything. And on that positive note, we will end our show for today. And thank you both for being guests 
Um, it's been a pleasure, and I wish you great success with your movie. Thank OG you, Mary. Seven. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It's been great being here. It was a pleasure having you both. And we'll see you all next week. Appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.